0: You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM-10X and hosted by Tony Saldana.
1: Welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, the podcast that's been designed for business leaders to learn from the masters who devoted their careers to disrupt their respective industries. My name is Tony Saldana, and each episode, we bring you some of the most interesting stories from these leaders on how they went about changing their jobs, their lives and their companies. So with that in mind, I've been really looking forward to this particular episode because of the interesting dynamics in the food sector within CPG. And my guests today are Bob Mashing, EVP Global Supply Chain at Trident Seafoods and Fred Bauman, Vice President of Industry Strategy at 09 Solutions. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you Tony, great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Tony. It's great to be with you today. All right, let's get started. Bob, just a quick introduction. You've spent 30 years in executive positions at some of the leading names in the CPG industry, PepsiCo, ConAgra, Goodyear Tires. You've led supply chain transformation initiatives. You've implemented IBP across multiple segments. And there isn't a better person I can think of to hear some of your stories. So with that in mind, We'd love to hear your story. Tell us a little bit of how you got here and what are the skills that you developed that helped you to get here? Yeah, great, Tony.
0: As you mentioned, I started my career over 30 years ago. And I started at the Quaker Oats Company as a plant industrial engineer, where I was Cutting my teeth for the initial couple of years, anyway, working with teams on the shop floor, implementing productivity and efficiency initiatives. Mm-hmm. At my time at Quaker and later PepsiCo, after they acquired the business, I had the opportunity to work in three different manufacturing facilities and twice actually rotate into the company's headquarters in a couple of supply chain integration roles. And it was then that I first saw the value of collaboration between the go-to-market teams, for example, brand marketing, sales, business development, and finance, and the importance of that collaboration with the supply chain organization. After PepsiCo, I joined ConAgra Brands in a supply chain integration role. After a couple of years, I was asked to build an enterprise-wide single Supply chain planning or SNOP function for the first time, trying to integrate and build standard processes and systems enablement over nine business units. Mm-hmm. Prior to my current role, I also spent time, as you mentioned, at the Goodyear Tire Company, as well as the Nature's Bounty Company in global supply chain roles. I've had the unique opportunity to work on both high growth businesses as well as fix and turnaround, quite different experiences, as well as to be part of, as you mentioned, several supply chain transformations in either a
1: leadership or a key team member role. So it's great to be with you today. Uh,
2: What a ride. (laughs) That's fabulous. Thank you for sharing. Fred, how about you? Tell us your story. Yeah, Tony, thanks for having me again. And my story started about 30 years ago I started my career at IBM, where I was training marketing reps on the value of OS2 applications. So for those (laughs) of you that have been in the IT business for a while, you know, that's a while ago. And then I made the career change into General Mills, where I spent eight years in a variety of roles, both on the sales and marketing side and then category management. And then I fell in love with supply chain and really got engaged with cross-functional teams, starting the first cross-functional team for Pillsbury on the supply chain side, working with Walmart and really fell in love with the whole concept of supply chain collaboration and learned an incredible amount around thinking outside of your own four walls. And I think that's especially important now as we talk about disruptions, to think about how do you proactively mitigate and prepare for things that are happening outside of your company to be prepared to meet the needs of your customers. Following that, I've, I've spent 20 years in the supply chain technology space launching collaboration initiatives, analytics initiatives, and sales and operations planning solutions in my previous roles. And now I'm very much engaged in industry strategy. So working with professionals like Bob and others to really get a bead on where the market is going, how do we make sure we as a technology company are thinking about the real world problems that our customers want to solve? And it's a lot of fun. Oh, I can imagine. I can also see a lot of common threads between your two descriptions,
1: the love of supply chain and the industry, of course, but then also collaboration and going beyond the boundaries of your company. So we'll come back to that, but I want to hop back to you, Bob, because when we talked the other day, you talked about your experience in managing supply chain disruptions. And the operative word, there was disruptions, you know, the pandemic right now and plant capacity issues at other companies. It almost felt like, wow, if there is a disruption, Bob's your man. So tell us a little more about what are some of the challenging situations that you face? And then, you know, more importantly, how do you manage them?
0: Yeah, thanks. And I I would say, first of all, uh, I would say in my 30 years, I've not seen a year where there's been such an impact or a prolonged disruption in the food industry's supply chain as in the current pandemic that we're all dealing with. And I wanna first for all of you in essential industries such as the food industry, I would first of all, thank you and applaud the extraordinary efforts everybody is taking to keep our food supply chain operating safely. It's been nothing short of remarkable to watch. So, Tony, there's several things I think we're experiencing during this current COVID disruption, and I would put them in four different stages of impacts that we are dealing with. First and foremost, the safety of our employees. Secondly, just making sure that we are minimizing and avoiding any supply chain breakdowns within our supply side. Third, I think everybody is dealing with significant market demand shifting and demand disruption in a significant way. And then lastly, I think all of us are starting to think about and plan forward for this phased reopening or the new normal and what permanent changes we need to make within the supply chains to deal with it. From an employee safety standpoint, our number one priority has been the safety of our employees and the safety of our facilities. At Trident Seafoods anyway, this included numerous protocols, daily employee screening, redesigning of workspaces, and taking a very industry-leading approach to our quarantine plans for over 3,000 employees fishing and operating shore plants in Alaska. Amen. And that has been our number one priority and remains. From a supply chain breakdown standpoint, we've been as proactive as we can Talking with and monitoring our suppliers, our shippers, our distribution partners, and obviously our plant sites to ensure that business continuity plans, agility and responsiveness, checking on order to delivery lead times to make sure that we're um, minimizing any breakdowns. And I think all supply chains now dealing with this disruption are, are certainly dealing with that. Like many in the food industry, you know, we operate across multiple customer channels. We operate national accounts, food service, club, mass merch, and the grocery or retail channels. And early in the pandemic, like most people in our industry, eat away from home, saw a sizable disruption. I'd call a four to five X decline in volume almost overnight. And anything eat at home saw just the opposite. So our club business, our direct-to-consumer customers, as well as our grocery class of trade saw tremendous demand shifting. Trying to stay on top of that and sensing that has been a daily, weekly task for us. And I think we're starting to get ahead of it a bit. And then lastly, the, the phased reopening. I think many companies are trying to anticipate what the new normal is going to be. We're dealing with some cost headwinds that we're trying to proactively deal with and mitigate, making sure that we understand where where and how this fall and winter perhaps second wave of impacts is dealt with both from a demand or disruption and making sure that the product and channel priorities are clear to us to protect our business and our customer shelves. So I think in those four stages, we're trying to proactively deal with this disruption in all four of those areas. But it's been a year that I think none of us will ever say in our careers, hopefully we we will see again.
1: Oh, I I want to make a couple of points. Firstly, you started off by thanking all of the the people in the food industry. and, And I just want to say absolutely thank you as well. It's incredible that despite such a big disruption, our food supplies have been actually remarkably stable. The second point I want to make is that some of the biggest disruptions give rise to technologies and capabilities that essentially change the world. And I want to talk to you a little more about how that's going to happen, you and and Fred as well. In, In fact, let me go to you, Fred. So how do suppliers like O9, Help in these situations. And I'm sure that some of the capabilities that you guys are working on is going to dramatically leave the landscape of planning forever. So, talk to us a little more about that.
2: Sure, Tony. I think the lessons of COVID have asked questions like how do I detect supply risks and opportunities earlier? Yeah. And how do I drive faster and optimal decisions, right? Because what the pandemic forced a lot of executives to do is Uh to make decisions very fast, whether that be from a plant shutdown or a DC shutdown, and really try to mitigate that risk and come to a smooth operating approach that ultimately led to the customer getting satisfied with the demand and that demand bullwhip from the panic shopping that occurred. So companies are looking at how do I more proactively detect risk? How do I proactively understand opportunities? And one of the key things that we're doing at 09 is taking a a different approach as it relates to concepts around the digital control tower, as an example. And we really think about that capability around five key steps. And the first one is, is around sensing how can I better ingest externalities in my Mm -hmm. supply chain? Mm -hmm. So whether that be an externality of a high probability that a shipment is going to be late or a high probability from uh, promotion or tweeting or some other social signal that's going to dramatically change demand. Mm -hmm. And then after I sense that, how do I translate to my network? So Mm -hmm. Yes, this surge in demand is going to happen. Do I need to care? So sometimes it will impact a company. And sometimes a company, as an example, may have plenty of safety stock and they don't need to worry about that. So the translation step is key. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But in many cases, especially with very strong surges in demand or very huge supply disruptions, you need to do the third step, which is around the solving. So now that I know with a high probability that I'm going to have a supply disruption. How do I mitigate that risk proactively? So you hear the term sense and respond. I really like to think about it as sense and mitigate. So how do I proactively mitigate the fact that I'm gonna have a vessel that is going to have to divert due to weather or a truck that's gonna be stuck because of a hurricane? Can I proactively move inventory in my network? 09 is solving that in a really fast way And then the fourth key is execution, right? And execution is is key when you're going through huge disruptions in demand and supply. You've made a decision on the right way to solve it. Maybe it's a build-ahead strategy. Maybe it's a transportation expedite. But Uh you actually need to close the loop. Visibility isn't enough and execute on that decision that's presented to you in the solve. And then I think where we're seeing a lot of new innovation and learning and quite frankly, continuous improvement is the fifth step around learning. Yeah. So after I've executed this scenario step or this prescriptive step, I want to learn from it. So the next time a major disruption hits, I'm taking those learnings into an account. So yeah. as an example, perhaps in this disruption, I assumed that an expedite on a plane was going to take eight hours or seven mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. But when in reality, I've learned over time that it's a much shorter period or a much longer period. Yeah, yeah. My scenarios, my recommendations going forward need to take into account these learnings over time yeah. so that the execution step is really going to drive the optimal result for the customer dealing with that disruption. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really
1: glad to hear you talk about that fifth step because as, as an outsider, and I'm familiar with the supply chain industry, but I work across other functions as well. It almost seems to me like history is gonna look at all of this in, in two periods. The period before the pandemic was more focused on productivity And then what we're learning from the pandemic is equally about agility, because there's nothing like a crisis to make you figure out that you need to react quickly, which which kind of goes back to my original comment around when we have these crisis-like situations, they change the industries that are involved in them, just like medicine was forever different after any of the big wars, because surgeons learned a lot of stuff on the field. But there's a positive to that as well. Then as I look across what's happening across industry... Bob, I wonder a little bit about how is the food industry different from other industries? Obviously, there are complexities and there are unique situations that makes food very, very different and exciting even within CPG. So what do you think is different? What makes it so exciting?
0: Yeah, I would say there's several things. And I've had the opportunity to work outside of the food industry, but most of my career is within the food industry, Tony. And I would say one advantage I believe consumer products and the food industry in particular has going for it compared to maybe a couple of other industries is in many ways it is one step closer to true demand or sell out. In some industries I've been part of where there's a distributor relationship involvement or other profit pool participants involved achieving better maturity in commercial and supply chain planning, or with collaborative planning with your trading partners or customers. I think the CPG in the food industry is one step closer to being advantaged in that. In the last several years, obviously, consumer products and the food industry is certainly experiencing significant channel shifting. Uh It's a bit challenging being a supply chain where you are setting up multiple supply chains to deal with the omni-channel distribution Uh models, in particular, obviously, the significant growth in direct-to-consumer or Uh e-commerce. In this case, one of the challenges here is the past history or traditional statistical models to forecast demand are no longer adequate In my recent past, forecasting high growth, new distribution in Amazon was very challenging for our demand planning organization. So certainly more predictive and more advanced knowledge and insights are emerging to deal with some of the trends in channel shifting that are going on. So that has been a challenge as well as an opportunity. The other one you mentioned, and I would agree that to deal with those multiple channels, at least in a past few companies that I've been involved with directly, skew assortment choices and dealing with skew assortment complexity is another area where consumer products or the food industry is becoming more challenged. In my experience, commercial and supply chain partnerships increasingly have to have the same exact lens on skew assortment. And what I've called being able to identify Good complexity versus bad complexity. And what I mean by that is we need to be more agile and embrace good complexity. If the consumer and the customer is willing to pay for that complexity, that is good complexity and one that we have to increasingly focus on agility and responsiveness. Similarly, our role as business partners in the supply chain is to communicate effectively with our commercial partners on bad complexity. Anything that is inefficient and inhibiting productivity that the customer or consumer is not willing to pay for, we have to have the same lens. And that's where I think the strong partnerships of commercial and supply chain come into play in dealing with that complexity also.
1: And that's so critical, isn't it? Because what you're doing is you're going from just executing the supply chain to now being in charge in a certain way of understanding how patterns are shifting across users, and then working along with your partners to come out with really unique solutions. Uh, And to your point about good and bad complexity, I really like that framework, because I think sometimes we in supply chain, we have the tendency to look at our role as, hey, let's just continue to do this better, faster, cheaper, without necessarily looking at value creation. Fred In the first episode of the series, I talked with Sanjeev, and he referenced the 3W framework and its roots with Deming in the Plan-Do-Check-Act model for continuous improvement. I want to go on a slightly different direction here. How do new innovations in machine learning and artificial intelligence, how do you think they enhance the 3W model?
2: Yeah, great question, Tony. And the 3W model is a fantastic model. And just to ground us i would think about three gears joined together Uh and the first big gear of the 3w is what is happening and why Uh so being able to scan the market understand why your demand is up or down or you're having supply challenges the next of the three w's is what should we do about it now that we know about the gap and what will happen and then what should we do and if you think about this, it's really a flywheel. The faster you can spin that wheel around what is happening and why, what will happen and what should we do, the more resilient your supply chain will be. Okay. Now, to your specific question, how does ML change this model? If you think about execution now, right, when you move to the what should we do step, mm-hmm. we have lots of new information in real time that we can execute in a much more effective manner. George Patton famously said, A good plan violently executed right now is far better than a perfect plan executed next week. <laughs> that is so, true. so, you know, I love that quote because yeah. at the end of the day, you have to execute, you just can't yes. plan. Yes. And so, the tools that we have from a technology perspective around being able to ingest IoT signals from transportation assets, yeah. being able to ingest weather signals, these are things that we didn't have before and improve right. the 3W framework. Yeah. And it really leads to the second area that's really growing. And that's the whole question around proactively mitigating risk. Mm. So this is done with predictive analytics. Okay. So as an example, if I know a truck is going to be late, I know a ship is going to be late. How do I proactively mitigate that before it's an issue? And that's the key to mask that challenge from the consumer that is getting higher and higher service requirements. They can easily switch brands. They can easily switch companies. So service as a differentiator to really mask the challenges that you may have to deliver to them at their expectations. Uh And I think the third piece is this whole learning concept and what Uh machine learning brings to the table. As we are executing these scenarios, as we are course correcting in real time, being able to have the machine's propose new things for us to capture opportunities. Mm-hmm. The last time you had this disruption, you did X, Y, and Z, and these were the results. So you're able to make much more rapid decisions with what I would call a digital assistant mm-hmm. to provide a path mm-hmm. to a great answer and solving the problems that you're having to manage through these disruptions. That's fabulous.
1: And you know what I like in particular about how you articulated this is, You've really brought to life tangible examples of what we can do in supply chain to increase the speed of that flywheel in execution. One of my previous CEOs of Procter & Gamble used to say, at the end of the day, execution is the only strategy that the consumer sees. So You can strategize all you want, but the first sign of the battle is when everything becomes execution. So I love how you're thinking about this in the uh, 3W framework. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and come back to you, Bob and IBP in particular, because I know this is an area that you are well known in. Um, in the last episode, Chris Tyus of Nestle actually talked about this as well, and it's fascinating. I want to draw some information from you on the challenges that you've faced in your career, specifically around complexities of data. You want to essentially drive collaboration between commercial and supply chain operations, The fact that you have data and information timing issues and other complexities don't always make your job easier. So as a practitioner, I want to draw upon your experience. What do you do? How do you address this? As you mentioned early on, I had a unique opportunity to either
0: lead or participate in several IBP transformations, both starting from a very low level of maturity and system enablement, and also an experience where we were at a pretty good level of process maturity. And Mm -hmm. the aim was to become truly more demand-driven and much more seamless. So I've had the unique opportunity of seeing low-level maturity, trying to move up the curve to advanced. I would say the number one thing critical to accomplishing the alignment of commercial and supply chain planning is to fully break down silos. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is silos in many forms. In information flow, and how data or measures are translated based on different priorities in commercial and supply chain, how roles and responsibility silos might be dealt with, as well as in many cases, organization design impediments to getting at more of a seamless organization. Let me give you several examples. First, starting with the alignment of hierarchies and unit of measure, how the organization talks, going into a demand review, in many cases, Sales, rightly so, is focused on the customer or the customer hierarchy. Brand management organizations typically are fully embracing and focused on their brand. And on the supply chain side, supply chain professionals typically are focused on SKU level, product form, or packaging format. So the best companies have the ability to talk universally and translate from commercial to supply chain across those hierarchies and units of measure very well and very quickly. The second is in how do you also translate demand sign off or demand in units to a financialization scenario based on revenue or profit? And that's not easy to do in many cases. So the best companies can translate quickly, demand and supply from an IBP business process standpoint into their financial planning processes very seamlessly. Planning horizons is typically another silo. I've been part of organizations where it's very difficult to get beyond current quarter. And from a supply chain and even a commercial standpoint, Cost decisions are made in that three to six month window. Unlocking cost opportunities really is important to get at least out six months. The fourth area that at times is an impediment is having good analytics and good performance measures. I've seen the best organizations jointly embrace forecast accuracy, forecast bias, and forecast value add, and really jointly own that. It it points the organization to where to put their forecasting or consensus discussion effort and where they don't need to. I think that's also important. And I was so pleased to hear Stefan and Chris last episode talking about gap closure. I, I would say the most mature companies that embrace gap closure can create scenarios and, and really own any over-delivery or under-delivery to the financial plan I think, are the most mature organizations. And so those are some experiences and perspectives around how to really bridge that gap between commercial and supply chain planning.
1: Yeah. And you've touched upon so many topics that themselves could be an entire episode, including when you've got multiple SKUs and you're trying to get a common unit of measure across commercial and for supply chain, what do you use? At Procter & Gamble, we had to create a unit called a statistical unit, just to get a common unit of measure across those. So it's a fascinating topic and and there's a lot we could go in there. But I want to come back to Fred. And because you said something very interesting when you were talking about technology, Fred, which is the step on then using the technology to close the loop and for continuous learning. Now, We all know that visibility of an issue is just the beginning when issues happen. We know that good leaders play a role to not just close the loop with execution, but also continuous learning. What's been your experience, either yourself or working with clients, on what needs to happen to go from closing the gap all the way through continuous learning?
2: It's a great question. And I really wanted to dovetail on one of the things that Bob was just mentioning. And, and you have to come up with a common language. I've been a part of SNOP meetings where I could see one group speaking Celsius and the other one speaking <laughs> Fahrenheit. <laughs> and you can't get alignment and consensus on a plan when you can't speak the same language. So technology plays a really big role. And the enterprise knowledge graph capabilities that we have at 0 09 really. Uh-huh enable a company to not have to create special units of measure to be able to speak the same language. They could see the plan in their particular language and it be translated to the other key stakeholder, whether that stakeholder is in sales, it's in finance, or someone in supply chain is talking capacity. Now, specifically to your question around how does learning play a role? I think one of the key things that we believe is, is critically important is We call it post-game analysis. When you think about the football player as an analogy, even for the very best players who thought they played perfectly, when they saw themselves on film, they said, oh, man, I could have done a lot better than what I'm looking at here. Uh, Now you see this real-time film happening on the NFL stadiums, and that's the power of a real-time platform that we have now to, number one, be able to execute this integrated business planning process with language translation that I just spoke about. But to start with, we had a plan, we executed that plan, and this was the results. And the results may be that we missed our fill rates. Why did that happen? And what technology can bring to the table is some automation around root causing. Is the root causing because we believe the lead time was a certain rate and it's actually something very different? Is the root causing because the demand is significantly shifting? We talked about the movement to digital channels. It's a prime example now where we're seeing massive shifts of volume from traditional channels into the Amazons of the world, Walmart digital channels of the world. So statistical forecasts could become a learning exercise that Mm -hmm. says you've got to be thinking about external variables and things like consumer clicks and external promotions versus just history to improve those over time. So those are a couple of quick examples around learning that technology can help facilitate. It can actually present to users the root causes for why their plan failed, but more importantly, help them learn so that they can be more effective in the future planning cycles and technology
1: can not just play a, a role in execution but it can also play a huge role in terms of strategy you said a couple of things that really resonated one is that technology can make sure that everybody's speaking the same language but then technology can also help you simulate what's possible and then use that simulation as part of learning, maybe even before some of the challenges arrive. And I know that some of the architectural technologies you're working with, Fred, you mentioned graph databases, and then also the architecture of having a platform and other algorithms certainly supports that. So this is very nice to see. Now, we're at that point in this podcast where I want to switch gears a little bit. Bob and Fred, my final question for each one of you, I like to leave our listeners with at least one insight, one piece of advice, given the experts that we have on this call. I'm going to go back to you again, Fred. What would be your advice to our listeners?
2: I think as people are mapping out their digital strategy and specifically around this topic of disruption, I think the safest thing to do is to start with the consumer and work your way back. I think That advice is durable. It stands the test of time. As we think about even the challenges that we've talked about today around the shift of the consumer to different channels, as an example, and even shifting to different brands and and even different ways of shopping, Mm. the supply chain ultimately at the end of the day has to serve that consumer well. And architectures need to be able to uh, scale as companies are moving to these direct consumer relationships uh-huh. so my final takeaway would be to make sure that you know you're starting with the consumer first and then building your supply chain back in your technology roadmap back don't start with a digital hammer looking for a nail uh, you really can never go wrong when you're laser
1: focused on the consumer thank you thank you fred bob how about you
0: I would just wrap with this disruption of the pandemic has really forced many companies, uh, at least in the industry I participate in, in really connecting the commercial and the supply chain organizations and effectively managing supply and demand during this disruption. I think that if you can do that in the most significant disruptive
1: events, that becomes the opportunity, I think, for all of us. Oh, that's a great insight. How do you bring crisis-like collaboration and thinking to everyday? normal situations. Hey, Bob and Fred, I have to say I really enjoyed our time. We covered a lot of ground. Again, obvious given the incredible experiences that you have had, but totally enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast today. And for the rest of our listeners, as always, keep some of these insights that you heard from Bob and Fred in mind, because our goal here is to help you not just implement planning but to redefine it
0: thank you for listening to masters of digital transformation for more information be sure to check out www.09solutions.com aim10x